Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Whiskey Wednesday, January 5th, 2022, and this is episode 55. Today on Spirits of Whiskey, our guest is Louise McGuane. Louise is founder and maker at J.J. Corey Irish Whiskey, a bonded whiskey, which, uh, as we shall learn, is uh, a, 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 an exceedingly rare thing these days. Louise, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yes, welcome. We're so excited to have you. It's been a long time in the making, this interview, actually. Um, so as we always start off, we love to find out about your whiskey journey. So when you were a wee little lass, did you ever have aspirations to be running a, a whiskey distillery as an adult? Um, not as a wee little lass, no. Not not necessarily. You know, whiskey... That would be strange. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> slightly illegal as well, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because when I was younger, Irish whiskey wasn't particularly, it was kind of in a down cycle. You know, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of Irish whiskey companies at the time. Three, three makers. There was three makers at the time. Yeah. And, but, but there were hundreds of brands, interestingly enough. And, you know, it was just a down period for the industry, but my career started off I just went out of college and then bang, went into the drinks industry pretty much immediately out of, out of university and uh, loved the industry and never, ever wanted to leave. Um, and it was kind of, but it was the corporate, the, the corporate, the corporate, uh, uh, side, not the mixology side. Yeah. Ex an extreme corporate side, you know, really like, you know, this is like the night, the late nineties, early two thousands. So, um, yeah, it was extremely corporate, big multinational corporations um, that work you very hard. Diageo, Pinericar, Moet Hennessy. Yep. I mean, they don't get bigger. They do not get bigger. They do not get bigger. Met some great people. But one of the most interesting things was that I always, you know, I was born on a farm here in Ireland. And, you know, every alcoholic drink that you have that's worth its salt, um, particularly whiskey, is ultimately like an agricultural product. Um, it's going to be made from a thing that's been grown. And uh, throughout my mm -hmm. career, I always stayed very close to the makers. Like, you know, I, I worked on a very big Russian vodka brand and uh, Stolly. And I remember going to the wheat fields in Tambov and literally going to Tambov and going wow. to these huts and meeting the farmers that grew this wheat for this, this vodka. And that for me was always like one of the more interesting parts of the job. You know, there was a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of uh, internal politics, but I was always drawn back to the wheat fields or the agave fields or, you know, where, where, the, where, the, where the stuff was made. So after 20 years of doing that really hardcore corporate stuff, I just had enough of it. Like it gets really old after, after a while and you, and you end up, I'm sure you end up being not a very nice person, I think. So I didn't like what, what like my whole vibe, like what was going on. So I decided I would quit very dramatically and start my own whiskey business. 
are are you still in recovery or or, or you know are, are you nice now or you know what I'm really nice now I'm really nice now it took me about um twenty years of corporate America or like our corporate multinational corporations will take you a good like six months to kind of deprogram from and um yeah it's it's nice being an entrepreneur because you just don't care about what anybody thinks or says really you know you can just be yourself and I'm turns out I'm a nice person actually. <laughs> Yeah, when I'm busy on on television shows, I I get very uh, unpleasant is a good word. I can attest. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, um, I can totally attest to to the busyness of corporate type. Yeah. So, so enough, tell us yeah. why why whiskey? Why not vodka? Why not tequila? Why whiskey? Um, Since you had touched all of these categories in a deep way. Yeah, and champagne as well. One of my, one, I cut my teeth on champagne, you know, and that's a pretty fantastic category in and of itself. Um, why whiskey? Well, I, I worked for, you know, I worked with the Johnny Walker brands and a lot of those really, really sort of Talisker and all those really kind of big guys throughout my career. And again, it was always back to basics with them for me. You know, I was doing like big sales and marketing stuff, but the favorite bit for me was meeting, meeting the people who lived in the tiny villages up in Scotland, you know, that made this stuff. And they really kind of reminded me of where I came from. Um, you know, because I was in a big corporation, you kind of get to see what's going on in the world, the drinks industry world, and you get a lot of kind of things come across your desk. And I had watched pretty closely the craft whiskey scene in America begin to blossom and grow. And as we know, that's exploded in the last 15, 20 years, let's say. And that hadn't happened in Ireland, but I, I had a feeling that we were probably on the cusp of it. This is about 2013 when I started to kind of look at it. Jemison had done a really good job in kind of making Irish whiskey relevant again, essentially, and reintroducing it to a lot of people. And at that time, there were still only three distilleries in Ireland, and this is 2013. This is not a long time ago. And I saw a business plan for a distillery called Dingle kind of came across my desk somehow. I don't know how it landed on my desk, but it landed on my desk. And I thought to myself, okay, that's interesting. Like Irish whiskey is on the rise. Jemison have done a great job. This craft, um, independent kind of spirited makers um, thing is on the rise. People are interested in you know, stories about whiskey and who makes it and different approaches. And I just kind of felt in my bones that like, that's, that's a thing that's going to happen. Like craft whiskey, the craft whiskey movement is going to coincide with the rise of Irish. And if we're really lucky, we might see a renaissance here. So I decided to jump ship because you, you get one chance in your life to do something like what I'm doing right now, which is, be, which is be a, a part of the rebirth of an entire uh, whiskey industry. Like we basically almost stopped making whiskey for a hundred years, only a few people made it. And now there's, you know, there's over 40 of us in the, in the space of a really small, mm -hmm. small period of time. So it was a bit of a no brainer. I'm also Irish, of course, and I have a farm in Ireland. So I, Irish- I had no idea. Yeah, Irish whiskey, Irish champagne, Irish vodka. It wasn't a hard choice. <sighs> Got it. Got so it. what part of Ireland is your farm in? We are um, on the west coast of Ireland. If you look at a map of Europe, we are the farthest west bit of, of Europe, essentially, and in a place called County Clare. We have a pub here in County Clare, and it's known as the last pub before um, New York. 
Because if you ju- go out the back of the pub and jump in the ocean and swim, you'll, you'll hit New York. Like we're extremely west mm. and on and right on the coast. It's everything that you think of when you think of Ireland, where I live. Like it's coasts, it's cliffs, it's castles, it's green. It's very, very beautiful part of the country. It, it's It's been dubbed the Wild Atlantic Way, yes? That's exactly it. We're right on the Wild Atlantic Way. And it's very appropriately named. You know, we, it's, it's, it really is rugged and wild and, and right on the edge of, of Europe. And you grew up there on a farm. I did. I grew up here my, my whole life. Very small dairy farm. My dad is 80 and he still farms the, the farm. Uh, just like has, wow. yeah. I wish he wouldn't. God help us, but like he, 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 he does, and um, yeah. So it's it's this farm that I'm on here. Like my grandmother was born on this farm, essentially, and I'm not a farmer, and my brother isn't a farmer. So another impetus for founding the business was the farm kind of needs a future, you know, and um, I needed to secure it in some way. The Irish are very attached to their land. Like we don't sell our land. We're weird about it. Um, so I figured this potentially could have been uh, could be a, a home or um, a base for the for the business, and it secures the the, the farm for for the future essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, so are you growing any of the grain there, or just still doing the dairy stuff? No, it's it's all dairy here. It's it's, it's still dairy. All we have is an ever increasing uh, amount of rickhouses, basically that we're building here. That's kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's just lots of rickhouses, a big, big, big blending room as well. But it's it's a lovely environment for whiskey maturation, you know, being right on the coast. It's quite a nice maritime climate. So um, mm-hmm. grain doesn't grow very well this side of the country because it's too wet. So you the yields on barley and stuff like that are woefully unpredictable. And corn, my dad remembers corn growing here when he was a kid just over on, on my neighbor's field, actually. But again, you'd never get enough output for any, or, or guaranteed output, really, for any kind of, um, you know, decent production. You'd always have to be buying it in. You couldn't do an, right. you know, industrial production of spirits. No, you, you could you could grow some. You know, you could grow token amounts of grain here, but you would never, but then you're going to get a big storm in July and it's going to ruin the crop every three years. You know, it's just, it's not great crop uh, this side of the country doesn't grow crops particularly well the midlands is where you get most of the irish grain from he- here and, and up north a little bit as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. where it's comparatively protected correct sure. yeah we're too we're too sure. coastal sure. it's too wild atlantic way it just doesn't you know it just doesn't work that well yeah i just want to any any peat bogs in that area i have a peat bog right here on the farm yeah um, oh fantastic yep. so wow. we use um it's really interesting like Irish whiskey would have been peated at one point like way 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 back in, in time and the reason for that is we use it as fuel like we still use it as fuel my parents right it's not a flavoring agent it's it's a it's a byproduct that smokiness is a byproduct of the production that's that's production. exactly it yeah you, you'd be smoking your you might be firing your still with it 200 years ago or you're or, or you're malting your barley or you're drying your grain or whatever grain you're using wheat or whatever it is at the time it's just going to be a byproduct and there's loads of it like we we have to, as i said to this day where i live you go to the bog every summer and you harvest your peat we call it turf and then you bring it home and you burn it as as fuel for your house so we do have a peat bog here 
that's good fun. Um, I have a distiller that I'm working with up north, and we're we're running a few experiments with using our peat to to malt some of his barley. Yeah. And you know, there, there's local kind of aspects that we can use like that. But yeah, it's interesting in Irish whiskey. You're going to start to see a lot more peated varietals of it coming out because in the middle of this whole resurgence of Irish whiskey, people are going back to the old ways and the traditional ways of doing things. So you'll you'll see it some kind of a return to that that has become synonymous with Scotch. Speaking of which, bonding. Uh, that yes. is an old Irish tradition. Um, it, it was common in the U.S. as well, once upon a time. In fact, we um, we interviewed um, uh, Master Distiller at, um, well, what was Anchor is now Hoteling. Uh, and we, in, in talk, discussing with him, you know, how they adopted Hoteling rather than something else, we got the whole backstory on a whiskey bonder by the name of Hoteling. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. 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 So talk to us about this. Why, why bonding? Why now? Yeah. So again, it's, it goes back to this idea of the Renaissance of Irish whiskey. So I'm in an extremely privileged position to be, I was one of the first new independent makers of whiskey on the island of Ireland, you know, back in 2015, when I started my business, again, there was still at that time, maybe four distilleries making whiskey at the time. And of course, Teeling, Teeling had come online by then, I think. I mean, Cooley had come and gone and had closed by the the mid nineties, I think. Had been bought out. They were bought out, and they and they recommenced production. Teeling was coming online around then, like um, yeah. they weren't quite. Okay. They were coming online. Dingle was coming online. They might have been producing, but nobody in twenty fifteen would have had three year old whiskey. Like to be to be, sure. just wouldn't. Right. They might have been producing. Um, but I, of course, I was going to open a grain to glass distillery. That was going to be my unique and amazing contribution to the industry. And because <laughs> <laughs> that's what one does five years ago, that's what one does. And I have a farm, obviously. And to your point, the reason I know a fair bit about grain production here is that I really did look into it. I was trying to figure out, can I, what can I grow and what, et cetera, et cetera. And as I was looking into whiskey production here in County Clare, um, I looked at all of the archival information I could find, you know, from all over the place, basically. And, and, and through a lot of word of mouth as well, there's a lot of like handed down knowledge in the people that live here because the people that live here, their families have lived here for, you know, 800 years or whatever. So as I was kind of snooting around, I was looking at it. There's an old distillery site that kind of closed down during the famine in, in our local town of Kilrush. At one point, there were four distilleries in County Clare. All of them were extinct by 18, um, 1870, we'll say. They were, yeah, about 1870, they were all all gone. Um, and they had kind of brief, some of them had brief runs. But the one thing I did find was this guy called J.J. Corey. I actually found this label that somebody was selling on the internet on eBay. And it said, <laughs> it's all, everything goes back to eBay, doesn't it? Um, yep. so, and I, it was this guy locally who was selling these, these labels that said JJ Corey, whiskey bonder, Kilrush County, Clare, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that's, is that the pink label that's on the website? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I called up the guy who was selling it and I was like, yo, 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 what's this? Um, please tell me about this because I'm, I want to set up a whiskey company and I'm looking for like, I, I, what is all that? What's this all about? Who is this JJ Corey guy? And what's this whiskey bonding thing? And I started to really delve into this idea of whiskey bonding and what the hell is that? I'd never heard of it in the context of Irish whiskey, certainly. 
And, you know, then I went into the rabbit hole of the British parliamentary archives, because we were, of course, ruled by Britain for a while, and discovered that whiskey bonding was once like a really integral part of the industry. It was the predominant way that whiskey kind of made its way to people back up, up until about the 1930s. And in the context of Irish whiskey, what it means very specifically is that if you were J.J. Corey, there was loads of J.J. Corey's, you know, there was Paddy Malloy's and there was loads of these J.J. Corey types. And he had a little shop in the town of Kilrush and he sold um, bicycle parts, musical instruments, um, ammunition, guns, dandelion wine, wine from Bordeaux, rum from the Caribbean, tea from India, you know, all of these Commonwealth wow. products. And, a not so general store. Yeah, yeah like any, <laughs> anything. And he also sold his whiskey. And in the case of his whiskey, um, he would kind of take whatever casks he had lying around in his shop, most likely. So if he had that empty cask of Bordeaux or sherry or port, and he would bring it to the to the local distillery. And the local, the nearest distillery to us at the time was Limerick. And uh, Limerick and the town of Kilrush were connected by a steamboat that came up and down twice a day. So we, my, my assumption is that's where he got his liquid from. And he would then mature that whiskey for however long, there was no laws at the time, um, into, uh, he would mature that whiskey and then sell it uh, under his brand name, JJ Kari. And that's what a whiskey bonder was. It was somebody who did precisely that. They had wh wh whiskeys from different distilleries, casks from different places, and then they blended whiskey then um, to create their own kind of style. So I thought that was interesting. And I thought that's, you know, whiskey bonders were in every town in Ireland. If you drive around Ireland, you'll still see the term whiskey bonder over written in gold letters over a lot of pubs. And that's, oh, yeah, wow. it's, it's very much kind of in the ethers. It's very much out there, but it had totally died out and been completely forgotten as part of the industry because the industry effectively collapsed in the 1920s and 1930s. You know, we went down sure. to having one distillery for a small period of time. So when this market correction came around in the industry, I thought, okay, everybody else, there's a lot of great folks I know doing a grain to glass distillery. That's wonderful. I can't grow any grain anyway. So I'll become uh, a whiskey bonder and that'll be my kind of contribution to bring that back, that tradition back to, to the industry. So that's why I chose it. Wonderful. Wow. Wonderful. Well, you, you, very cool. you could have distilled uh, vodka from whey, um, but um, somebody's already I'm, I'm glad you, want, you know, which is great. Yes, That's way too they're, boring. They're, oh, way, way too boring. Too, oh, I did um, a fill up. You did. Um, <laughs> and there are some great gins that are distilled from Fue. There are. And indeed, some of them are Irish. There are. There are. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but we're glad you went with whiskey. Um, <laughs> yes, we are. So otherwise, we wouldn't be talking to you today. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Can we? Can we? Can we talk about? you know, the actual juice, like, what are you, what's in the market? What, uh, you know, how long has this stuff been laying up Yeah. and, uh, what's available globally? What's available in the U S our, our, our audience is global. Um, yeah. so they'll want to know what's available, you know, generally not just in the U S. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, look, it's a very good time to be a whiskey bonder because as, as we've said several times now, when I started the business, there was three distilleries in Ireland and um, that would have been very boring, just sourcing whiskey from three different distilleries and blending that all the time. Boring. Now there are over 40 distilleries on the island at, at various different stages of um, uh, 
construction and production and things like that. So my goal as a whiskey bonder is essentially to have the biggest library of Irish whiskey flavors on that planet, the most diverse library of flavors. Um, and correspondingly, I love the concept. Say that again. I said I love the concept, the yeah. library of a flavor library. I just that just that fires me. Yeah, it, it, and and we I we're really kind of it's it's a beautiful goal to work towards because um whiskey's all about flavor and blending is all about flavor and because we don't distill we I have what I consider to be a, a luxury of um going out into the world meeting all these amazing distillers sourcing their new make stock and then going out into the world again and sourcing casks to put to match that new make spirit too so I'm able to build all these amazing relationships, not just with Irish whiskey makers, but with coopers around the world, with, you know, bodegas in Spain, with distilleries in the US, with wineries in France. Like I, I have this lovely kind of library of, of, of um, you know, not just whiskeys to kind of work from in terms of imparting flavor. So we have whiskeys to answer your question specifically ranging in age from zero uh, all the way up to like 32 is the oldest whiskey that we have oh wow moment. yeah malt single malts and anything that's older that i have in stock that's older than five years old is going to come from one of those three distilleries it's either bushmills Cooley, uh, or, or middleton like that's that's just a fact like that's the way that it is and then any of the younger stocks that i have i have some really exciting small scale distilleries that you've never heard of that are doing really interesting mash bills like as i said bringing back kind of old forgotten mash bills, pot still using, you know, really interesting wheats and, and different different layers of grain and stuff like that. So I have already, I think I probably have the, the most diverse kind of library of flavors, but the goal now is to really double down on that. And, um, and you're sourcing and both new make and pre quote unquote pre-aged whiskey, correct? I am. So the... The whiskies that are on the market right now are predominantly made from the the, the mature stock that we uh, we sourced. I, I bought a lot of stock back in 2015. We've started to incorporate some of the new make now, the younger five, six-year-old uh, into some of it. Eventually, everything that we have will have been sourced when it was a baby, like when it was proper new make. But it's, it's going to take 20 years for us to get to that point. That's just... Right. That's the nature of the business. Um, but the products that we have out in the US and the, the two kind of core ones that we have out and about um, are the Gale and the Hansen. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the, the Gale. Gale. And this is like a really, this is kind of our flagship blend. This is the first whiskey we ever came out with. And the, the goal with the Gale was to show that again, this is years ago, this one, when we started, that like blended Irish whiskey is actually pretty stellar. It's pretty amazing um, if it's done right. Um, there's a lot of Irish whiskey, blended Irish whiskey out there that tended to be kind of younger stocks. So I used all of the older stocks that we had um, in our possession to blend the gale and we still use it. So the core of it is a 2002 and 2006 batting of a single malt. Um, then um, it has... A, it, it, it has a top dressing of 1991, that 30-year-old or 31-year-old malt. Mm -hmm. um, and then the rest of it is, a, is another vatting of grain. Like it tends to be grain ranging in age from 10 to, to 14 years old. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's the gale. 60% malt, 40% grain. There's a really broad age range. 
in uh, in this bottle. There is, yeah, yeah, and there, there's nothing like the the core of it is those is those much much older malts, two thousand two, two thousand six malts. So, you know, mm. they're they're beautiful, fruity, um, fruit balmy kind of malts, and I think that's what the gale tends to deliver. It it's all of those lovely forest fruit flavors, kind of green apples, um, autumnal kind of. Um, ripe fruits that that you get from an irish whiskey really that was kind of the goal here the the nose explodes am i right carrie yeah it just oh, explodes yeah. now I'm, I'm looking at the label a blend of grain and malt irish whiskey uh, uh as you've stated matured in a mix of ex-bourbon and sherry casks what is the what's the proportion ish so all of the 1991 top dressing that we put in there is is sherried and it ten it, it depends on the batch but it ranges from like 5% of that to may, maybe 6% of that like it's it's a little top dressing. Uh -huh. But because it's 30 years old it's extremely heavily sherried. You know, it's been sitting you know it's <laughs> oh, just wow. sitting it's it had its whole life in sherry so it's bonkers oh, like That was my next question. Yeah. It's sherry matured. Yeah. Period. This is delicious. Yes, it's it's <laughs> Um, it's lovely. I think. Um, mm. Oh my god! Oh my god! Carrie and I both—that's fantastic. We were we both abstained uh, from drinking this ahead of time. This is explosive. I don't usually, but I felt like which is why I bring it. I up. needed to start. <laughs> <laughs> this is explosive. Yes, it's oh, it's delicious. My lord. Yeah, lots of layers and layers and layers then, and uh, that go on. Big sort of like almost mango, white stone fruit flavors in the mid palate. And then a lovely, yeah. long, long, creamy, creamy finish that's coming out of the grain. Wow, the tropical oh, yeah. fruits. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, it's got a nice little bite to it, but okay. it's not overly uh, hot. Or I'm anything. done. You, you two can finish. I'm just going to go off with this bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> but we have another one. It's that good. It is really that good, yeah. Louise. That I'm, good. I I always come back to it. You know, I would I I would say it was good, wouldn't I? Because I made it. But like, this is the first. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Yeah. Let's hope you'd say yeah. that. <laughs> um, I I I just we make a lot of whiskeys. Make a lot of really small blends, and um, we'll we'll do like like bonders blends we call them and I, I we've made tons and tons of those for customers but i always come back to the gale like it's 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 what our i want our house style to ultimately develop and, and be you know it's the pinnacle of that i think that is a distinctive house style it is distinctive truly it is um now we should have started with the hansen but what we, we we're backwards but that's okay but the oh, yeah. hansen is this is fun actually this is really interesting because I love grain whiskey. And when I say grain whiskey in the context of Irish whiskey, it normally means about 70% corn, 30% barley. Um, mm -hmm. And that's approximately what, what, what this is, again. Um, okay. This is actually the world's first, this was kind of by accident, but this is actually a blended grain whiskey. So the, 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 the stock that comes in here comes from two different distilleries. I didn't really realize, but that didn't really exist in Irish whiskey. Normally you get single grains is what they call them. Um, but mm -hmm. because, because of what we do as a bonder, that's what we do. You know, we put different- By definition, it's a blended grain. Yeah, sure. by, by definition. So um, some of that is five-year, it's a blend of 70% 10-year-old grain, there, thereabouts, 10, 11-year-old grain, and then 30% five-year-old grain. So some of this, as I was saying, this, this is some of this stock is 
what we brought in as baby whiskey, as I call it, and and and, uh-huh. and brought along ourselves. It was all put into really juicy first fill, um, Jack Daniels and um, a couple of other sort of smaller kind of bourbon casks, essentially. Um, okay, all right. So 46% ABV. We don't use any coloring in any of our whiskeys. This kind of tends to freak people out a little bit because they're expecting uh, coloration, but I just, I'm not a big believer in it. I don't love it. I just think mm-hmm. it should be natural. Um, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. No chill filtration. Same. I don't see the point. It's also very expensive and I don't see the point of it. Um, <laughs> I'm not buying that piece of kit. We don't, we don't need that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, this is going in a cocktail. I'm cocktailing with this tonight. Yeah. So this is tremendous in a highball, tremendous in a highball and anything kind of citrusy, even if you highballed it with oh, wow. at, at something that has a little bit of citrus in it or a spark or soda water with some, um, uh, grapefruit, tiny dash of grapefruit juice and a bit of bitters. Like it's, it's really easy drinking. Um, but mm-hmm. it is, it has lovely kind of lemon uh, meringue pie or kind of key lime pie notes to it that's that's what i get contextually for, for kind of the u.s i'm i'm going to open a dry vermouth tonight mm. and oh, uh, yeah. experiment with proportions uh with this and dry vermouth that's um it's a bit like a, a whiskey martini um it just because that's what i'm getting yeah i'm getting i'm getting uh this is this is a compliment i'm getting gin I'm getting gin botanicals. I'm, I was I'm gonna getting, say I'm getting a lot of earthiness. Explosion from this. of spices. Yeah. yeah, and earthy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. These are both delicious. You should be very, very proud of the products that you put My out because they are fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, the the Gale and the Hansen available everywhere. If you just Google it, we we sell direct in the US. We're all over the US and we also sell online. So we're in quite a few countries. You'll, you'll, you'll find them. And the names are fun. I'm kind of a history geek as well as being a whiskey geek. And, um, we always name everything at JJ Curry starts, the names start with the, and the Gale is named after a bicycle that JJ Curry invented very randomly. And the Hansen is very cool. I noticed the bike. Yeah. The Hansen is named after his son-in-law. He, his his daughter married a Gager, um, a guy called Gager Hansen, whose job it was to go around and dip tax, the whiskey bonders, essentially. So he just used to go around and make sure mm. they were all playing appropriate amounts of tax. And it, they used to wear little bowler hats. So I put a little bowler hat on the back. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Very nice. Oh, I just Very love nice. it. I, I love I love the bottles. I love the labels. Mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. I'm just in awe. What's This is a great way to start the morning. Are there other expressions about to hit the market? Yeah, we have we have a single malt called a Flintlock that we do. We do it once a year. It sells out really fast. It won you know, I'm not a big awardy person, but it, it, it was one of the first ever independent brands to win like the Irish Whiskey Awards, like Best Single Malt. And we do a pretty limited run every year. And it's about to come to the US again, like in limited amounts, probably by St. Patrick's Day. Again, it'll be online. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it should hit it. And that's really interesting because it's this year's version of it. Um, uh, sat, it's a 16-year-old single malt. It's only about four casks. And then we we vatted them all together in um, 
a manzanilla cask from Spain, essentially, just for a final couple nice. of months. So it has these those beautiful, big, sort of rich, bold um, fruit bomb flavors of JJ Kari. And then like a little kind of touch of jasmine going on from the manzanilla cask in the end. It's, it's like really interesting. Um, and that, again, is kind of our, our show, like... I work very closely with a cooperage in Spain and a bodega, you know, in Spain as well on, on these kind of projects. And that's kind of the first foray into that. Um, but it's called the Flintlock. It has a gun on the front. And um, <laughs> it's called the Flintlock because when I was renovating the barn here, the barn here dates from about the 1700s. I, it's now our tasting barn. Oh, wow. a, a pistol fell out of the ceiling. Somebody had hidden it there about 300 years ago and it just fell from the ceiling. So, wow. Well, those can still go off. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was pretty it busted. Didn't. Okay. It was pretty busted. Uh, okay. Because that would have been a good story. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, depending on how it ended. All right. So, so that, so that, but that, that's an annual release. Um, uh, um, so, generally, there are three SKUs in the market, one of which sells out. Are you planning to have like a, eventually a family of like nine to 12 in the market at any one time? Yeah, eventually. Like we, we did a really fun project called the Battalion a couple of years ago, which was a tequila mezcal finish. Um, and Ooh. it was awesome. And, and, and again, it sold out super fast and I was going to do it again and, and make it a, a permanent addition to the portfolio, but COVID really messed up our casking plans with, from, we couldn't get casts out of Mexico. Very simple. Like, and I still can't get them out of there. So we'll probably bring that into the mix. And then what we do is every, um, Every now and then we'll do a special release with like a whiskey club or a particular bar or, or, or account. So we have a couple, nice. yeah, like, and they're very small. They're only about 200, 250 bottles. They're small runs, but we kind of develop them in conjunction with the bar or the, or the account or the whiskey club. And we release those. So you'll probably see a few of those from us this year in the U S as well. And we do them all the time over here in Europe. Um, they're really interesting because they can get pretty crazy because we we can go a bit wild on cask finishes and stuff if, if people have particular flavor profiles that they like. Um, and they're very much in the tradition of whiskey bonding. That's what whiskey bonders used to do. Like if you were the local landlord family in Kilrush in 1890, you had your own housekeeper's blend. And that's just kind of a version of that, except on a more so global scale. You do bespoke bondings. Yeah, bespoke blends. They're called bespoke bonders blends. Three Bs. Mm -hmm. B -B -B. <laughs> I love it. Very good. Very good. Not the bed, bed, bath, and beyond, though. No. no. <laughs> no. What can it's I, where what, you go to or, break or up they're always, with your partner. And, the, and, and your coupons <laughs> never expire. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, your coupons never expire. Um, uh, what If one visits the, uh, the farm, what can one expect to experience? So it's pretty cool. Like, I think we're the only people who will take you around the rack house and you can open a cask and taste from the cask. And we have a program now where you can kind of blend your own individualized bespoke blend. So you can spend a couple of hours with us doing that. So it's a very... Okay, what's the closest airport? It's Shannon Airport. <laughs> oh, Shannon. Very okay, Shannon is the closest um, And my cousin actually runs all the hospitality. It's very, it's very in the, in the family. Um, but it's a really nice oh, cool. experience because we don't, it's by appointment only. You can't rock up with a bus of 400 people. Um, you kind of have to have to book in advance, but it's, it's just, a, it's, you get to see everything after distillation and, and all of that piece, which is really interesting that you don't usually get to see on a distillery tour. Um, right. And it's very immersive. So yeah, look us up. Yeah. 
We'll do. Very cool. Jerry and I have your cell phone yeah. number. So I, <laughs> yes, we do. Yes. I think we, um, we might be able to snag an appointment. <laughs> so how many employees do you have at the distillery? So we only have, um, how many do we have here? One, they're all my cousins, so I should kind of know. Um, one, two, three, <laughs> we have four on site. So we have four people on site, mostly okay. in production, basically. Um, and mm-hmm. we have two, one in, one in the, we have two offsite, one over in the UK. This is probably a year of growth for us. The US is starting to become quite a, an important and big market for us. And we're kind of expanding, mm-hmm. not nationally, but almost. So um, we'll probably be kind of scaling up a little bit th- this year. But we've, we've been very bootstrappy since this whole thing began. We, we're not one of those massive guys who got 100 million from someone day one. Like it's been very kind of take your last 10,000 euros and kind of start a business kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But right. this year we'll probably we'll probably be adding a couple of people, I think. So when you approached your family and said, I'm going to make, I'm going to do whiskey, I'm going to, I'm going to be a bonder. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Did they all say me please? Or did they, you have to talk them into, Hey, come on, I need help. Come over here. Let's do some work. Um, they, of course they all thought I was insane. You know, these people, it's, it's just <laughs> farming. Like these are farmers, they're farming communities. And there might be a bit of a legal distillation going on around here, even today. But um, there, there wouldn't be a great love of 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 the, the the whiskey industry. My dad doesn't drink at all. He's a, he's what's known as a teetotaler. He's a mm-hmm. yeah. He, he uh, did a, took a pledge when he was about fifteen and never had a drop in his life. But he has been really vital. You know, I literally did start this here on the farm. I converted a cow shed on the farm, and that was my office. And I like I remember bottle I remember a truck one day just like pulled up on the farm and I it was full of bottles and I opened the back of the truck and all these bottles just like fell out onto onto the ground <gasps> and I needed them for an order like literally four days later so there was no time to, to do anything and my dad came over and my neighbors came over and everybody came over to help me unload this thing and I've, I've had a huge amount of neighborly help in, in the beginning because it's a farming community and that's what farming communities do no matter whether you're making whiskey or, or milking cows so yeah i've had a, I've had a right. huge amount of help given 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 the uh where your where your office sits did you think of nicknaming it the dung den <laughs> oh, no it's a very it's it, it was a, it's a very cute office i spent very many happy days there god knows the the, the shit pad it could have been a few days but like um i, I love that office it's been great the shit pad. That's another idea. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Shitsville. That's what's like starting a business sometimes. <laughs> okay. All right. Carrie, shall we, shall we cocktails? Sure. Um, we end every interview with a discussion of cocktails, given, given what I do with, with a good chunk of my time, which is direct the cocktail collection, which as you know, uh, Louis is formerly known as the museum of the American cocktail. Um, we don't ask what's your favorite cocktail, because for me, that's a, you know, and that's the only answer to that question is as if, uh, yeah. but you know, what are your go-tos? Do you have a go-to category? And also, you know, how do you best like your product? Um, uh, cocktailed, and if you go into a bar and uh, this is not on the shelf, and you don't just leave, um, you know what? What do you order? So I was really lucky in my career to spend a lot of time working on cocktails. I worked. Uh, I did this program with Diageo called World Class, and I got to work with some of the world's greatest bartenders, and I, I, I got to kind of learn a lot about cocktails. I'm still terrible at making them, but Need my a, my go to a number of those. 
a number of those bartenders sit on our advisory board. Yeah, like Dale and all those guys. Yeah, I mean, they're... Yeah, Charles, Charles Jolie was the first to join. Yes, yes. Like, they're geniuses, you know. So I have a great love yes. and appreciation for other people making cocktails for me, you know, because they're fundamentally better at it. But obviously, I mean, I'm, I, I have a whiskey company, so I'm kind of obliged to, to toe the line. And I do love a whiskey sour, but I love... Um, I, uh, I'll give it a bit of a twist. I'll add like maple syrup or agave instead of, you know, as a sweetener. And I've, I've started to really love a New York sour with a little bit of a, a red wine or a sherry float in it. I really mm -hmm. I know. Okay. Yeah, because I have a ton of sherry here because of all this sherry work that I do now. Um, so love a bit of a float. Um, God, I love a mint julep. And again, the reason is I have masses of mint out the back. So when I want to make these things, I just have to go around the farm and gather up what's what I what's a little go out and get some whiskey out of a cask, gather up some mint and like you know, do my business. So um yeah, love love a love love a good sort of whiskey shot sour, not not a huge amount of sweetener in it. Um love a Manhattan as well, those kind of classics. But if I'm not drinking that, uh I'm a I'm a Negroni drinker. But I've been a Negroni drinker before it was fashionable. I want to point that out. I've been drinking it for a long Understood. time. It's not a fad. Understood. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time, and I and I still love Negroni. Your your credit is good here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> that is a popular choice that people have said on the show too. Oh yeah, Negroni is very popular. That and a Boulevardier, which of course is yes, a Negroni with whiskey. Yes. Um, yeah. Wonderful stuff. One of them. I tend toward the black. I like I like blackening it with Averna or Chinar or something along those lines. Uh, subbing subbing for the Campari. Uh, I like that deep herbaceous complexity. I love Campari and Aperol, but sometimes I think they're just a, given given what my palate wants. Sometimes just a little too aggressive. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love all that that whole kind of subcategory though. Like I'm really into it. I think it it, it is. Oh, Amari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lo love it, love it. Like it's it's a great. Um, takes a bit of getting used to in, the, in your early drinking days, but like once you once you get into it, it's it's uh, it, feel, it always feels like a serious drink when it's when, when you've got one of those going. You know. Yes. Ooh, an adult right. beverage. An adult yes. beverage. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, this has been fantastic, Louise. Thank you so much. You've and been thank wonderful. you for sending these samples. They're fantastic. And I, I don't think they're going to last long now that they're open. We look <laughs> forward to seeing this brand grow. This is, yes. um, yeah. you're doing exceptional work. Thank you so much for the time and giving us the airtime. And God, it's been, it literally has been about a year trying to make this happen with logistics and everything. So thank you for your patience. Yeah. I appreciate it greatly. <laughs> of course. It was definitely worth it. Worth the wait. Yes, indeed. Louise McGuane, thank you very much. For show notes on today's podcast, please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's stories in this episode's blog post. As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Slanchava. Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard. <laughs>